So today we're going to start a new series, and this series is very exciting. It's going to take 15, 15 weeks, so it will take us all through the summer. And the series is the Songs of Ascent. These are the songs you find, or the Psalms, in Psalm 120 to 134. There's 15 of these Psalms, and they have been collected in sort of a little mini uh, hymnal within the larger hymnal of the whole book of Psalms. So you've got this little group of Psalms. There, many of them are very short, uh, and and they represent the songs of people as they gathered in faraway lands and made their way to Jerusalem on the annual pilgrimages. Three times a year, they would go up to Jerusalem for various celebrations, Passover and uh, tabernacles and all of those things you've read in your Old Testament. The, the movement of these pilgrims represent the movement of the people of God all throughout history. This is nothing new. This is nothing that anybody that has ever pledged their allegiance and their heart to God Almighty hasn't been doing. From the time of Abraham leaving Ur of the Chaldees and moving to Canaan, all of these people who have trusted God have realized that we, as God's people, are living in a foreign Land. In other words, we're alienated from the world. And yet, we were created for the world. We weren't created for heaven. Heaven is just a, 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 a sort of a way station where we go and wait until the new kingdom of God comes to earth in the recreation of all things, the consummation, the second coming of our Savior. And to live successfully to live with any kind of integrity or peace or what have you, in this pilgrimage, you really need to immerse yourself in these 15 psalms, and they are truly amazing. John Calvin, in his commentaries, you know, we only think of Calvin with respect to the institutes of the Christian religion. We think he just was a systematic theologian. But John Calvin wrote commentaries... He preached hundreds, if not thousands, of sermons. And it's when you listen to John Calvin's sermons and you read his commentaries that you see the other side of John Calvin. You see the pastor, the the heart of the pastor. He wasn't this cold figure that you see, or he certainly wasn't a bobblehead like I have in my office that I bring. He was a very warm and tender human being. He loved people. He loved evangelism. He loved the lost. And he was responsible for missions across all of Europe when very few churches were doing missions. Here's what he says about the book of Psalms in general, the whole book, the 150. I have been accustomed to call this book of Psalms, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, 
fears and doubts, hopes and cares, the perplexities, in short, all the distracting emotions with which our minds are wont to be perturbed. This unsettledness that we feel as human beings, and certainly it's very acute, I think, in believers, Christians, we know something is desperately wrong. We went through the entire book of Romans last year and half of this year and explained what's wrong with the world. As beautiful as it is, these spring days in El Paso, there's no place in the country as beautiful. Amen? Yes, amen. This is a great... You look outside and you go, how can it be this beautiful? But at the same time, we know something's wrong with the world, no matter how beautiful it is. John Calvin says in the Psalms, you find every type of feeling, emotion, thought, all of the perplexities of life are carried out in a way that, that you, you boggles the mind. You, that, is the psalmist really? Yeah, he really was depressed. He really was lamenting. He really was complaining to God. He was telling him, you know, if, if, if I, he's ready to die and he would say to God, if I die and go in the grave, who's going to praise you? That's the kind of boldness and relationship the psalmist had with God where he could say, you better not let me die because praise will be gone. I'm the only one. He knew better, but he was being bold in front of God. He would cry out to God in his, in his anguish. And that's what these pilgrim psalms represent. And so we're going to look at them. In your bulletin, we've printed Psalm 120. I'll do this one and 121 next week, and I'll be giving you a lot of just so that you understand there's a real structure behind these psalms. It's absolutely fascinating. And uh, I think it will help you. And I, I, well, I know it will help you. Make your way as a pilgrim uh, when everything around you doesn't feel right. When you feel like, gosh, it just culture's going sideways. The church doesn't seem to be faithful. I hear crazy stuff on TV. Social media is insane. You know, you start thinking, where can I find God? Where, really? Pilgrimage. It's wonderful. I'm so glad we can do this through the summer. It's going to take us all the way through Labor Day. So now hear God's Word. It's written in your bulletin. You can look at it. 120. Uh, we'll read the whole thing. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell in the tents of Kidar. Too long have I had my dwelling place among those who hate peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's a very profound collection that we have here. These 15, all of them begin with the title, Song of Ascent. So they, I, I'm almost positive they were not originally put together in a collection. 
uh, because there's reasons within the context of the Psalms that they may have come from other places, but they were at some point gathered together in one body, one corpus, one collection, one volume, whatever you want to call it. So it's a, a mini hymnal. And it means ascent. It means going up, taking a, a, a journey from a lower area to a higher area, generally from out there to the temple, which was up there. Now, the temple was on a high mountain, but not the highest mountain. But it's often called the highest mountain because God is there. God is present. So, what is it? Say, the highest mountain. The highest mountain. If God is there, that's the highest mountain. Not Everest. This one. Wherever He is, that's the highest mountain. So there's poetry and and metaphor and all of those cool things that we love about the Bible because they're so... They just reach out and gather up all of us and bring us in the way just straight facts and propositions often cannot do. It begins... 120 begins in Meshach and Kedar. And I'll explain that in a moment. Psalm 134, the last one, ends in Jerusalem, in the temple. And so from 120 to 134, the psalmist, the pilgrim psalmist, is making this track through life with the ultimate goal of arriving in Jerusalem and worshiping in the temple. Very much about worship. It traces, these psalms trace an overarching narrative. Now Dawson and I have given this to you many times and there are different uh, schematics that people use. The one that I've used with uh, us at Christ the King and Dawson has one that's also excellent. Creation, mine is creation, chaos, new creation that that's the overarching narrative of Scripture. That we were originally created to dwell in a garden, a temple, right in the presence of God. And we messed that up and we were cast out into the wilderness, into the chaos, into the tohul vabohu, the, the formless and void that God had brought into order in His creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, first chapter, first verses, he gave chaos form and structure. And he put mankind over that to keep it and to spread it to the rest of the planet. All the world was not made a garden, just in the east of Eden. And then they, man and woman, were to go out and take the temple of God everywhere, the kingdom of God everywhere, and spread it to the world. Well, the story we failed, Genesis 3, I told you. If you understand 1 through 3 of Genesis, you will understand the rest of your Bible because it's the only reason the rest of your Bible even exists. is because of what Chapter 4 exists because of what happened in chapter 3. You get that? And all of a sudden, a lot of mysteries start to become unmysterious. More will show for sure, but unbelievable. Understand that that narrative, creation, chaos, and recreation. Now, within 
the new creation, we start with our redemption, with the coming of Jesus. There's subcategories sub within those three big ones, but those, this is easy to, to remember, so that's why I've given it to you. This is the narrative, and believe it or not, I just showed you. This is the narrative of this little Psalter, this little collection. We start in Meshach and Kedar in chaos and distress. And in fact, 120 ends in war. It's not resolved at the end of 120. It's resolved in 134. 14 more Psalms later. This is fantastic. Does the Holy Spirit not know the people He created? The world He created? What you're facing? Do you think He doesn't know? Do you think Jesus didn't make this journey? I would argue that these psalms were on Jesus' lips every day of his life. And when he was hanging on the cross, he was, he was reciting the psalms. In another place, John Calvin said, if you want to understand your, your Bible, the entire Bible, you want to understand the Gospel, you want to understand Jesus, immerse yourself in the psalms. Because there is everything. Not to the exclusion of the rest of your Bible, but certainly a, a place with a rich deposit of God's truth. I just, I love the Psalms. I've been, you know, I'm old. I've been through some stuff. Some of you have been through some stuff. And when I, when stuff starts in my life, that's the first place I run. I run like a crazy man and start reading the Psalms because it's there that God meets me in my trouble. And my happiness, when I'm rejoicing, I think, huh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. He's with me. See, the psalmist is far from God, this pilgrim. And he wakes up and he knows this. We're going to look at three things. The cry of distress. This, this lost child, he awakens. This is where it begins. He knows he's not where he belongs. From there, he, he makes this bold assertion. I am innocent and I'm being attacked. And God will be just. This certainty of deliverance and of God's faithfulness and God's justice can be hard sometimes when you cry out to God, you're in a distressful place, something, everything's going, going sideways, and you cry out to God and you think, well, you know, I sure hope He answers me fast because there's only $3 left in my checkbook. And then you get the notice from the bank that you're overdrawn. And what's the first thing we think? He didn't answer me. He didn't give me what I needed. Why didn't He do that? We don't, we're not thinking right. Our thinking is too much in Meshach and Kedar and not enough in Jerusalem. Okay? And then finally we're going to look at uh, a new beginning. Uh, this, this movement from... Meshach and Kedar uh, to Jerusalem. And we'll look at that. So those three things. Uh, 
the cry of distress, the certainty, the confidence that God will answer us, and then this new beginning. So let's get going. Look at verse 1 and 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongue. The distress that he is expressing is one that every human being, whether you're a Christian or not, every human being feels this. A sense of anxiety, of apprehension, of trouble, fear. We just, we're just not sure. Now there are times when we're very confident. We're moving through life and things are going well. But those don't last. Now unless your life is very different than mine, mine, I go from one trouble, it seems, to another trouble. I mean, there's periods of fun between. But as you get older, those periods of fun get less. And when you're a little kid, when you're a kid growing up and their parents put you on the bus, you go to school and you go to school and you go, wow, this is so much fun and everything, but there's periods in even those little lives. Our little blessed kids, covenant children in the other room, they even have those periods of anxiety and distress. They don't feel right. People make funny, they make fun of them, they bully, they, you know, all of the stuff you hear. Everything. And you know, you were a child. You didn't get picked first when the team came in the playground, let's pick teams. Maybe you were one of those that got picked last. Maybe you were one that got picked first, but now you're fat and old and you get packed last now. <laughs> it doesn't last. There's no solidity. And this brings on a feeling of distress. I called to the Lord. It's a specific kind of distress. It was lies and deceit. You see, people were speaking, probably speaking libel against the pilgrim because he wasn't like everybody else. And I'll tell you, our world right now doesn't see a whole lot of difference between us and the worst pagans. The worst fundamentalists. The worst. They don't see a whole lot of difference. And Dawson and I are appealing to you in our small church, let's be different. Let's find that thing that this world needs. It needs people that are bold for their faith, that are willing to sacrifice and love others that are not like them, but also never compromising what is true. Never. But we don't have to act like idiots when we are standing for the truth. We can do it the way Jesus did it. He was so bold and fiery that it was unbelievable. And the next moment, he's got a kid on his lap. And he's scolding his followers. That's the kind of person I want to be. I'm not, but I want to be that person. And we, Dawson and I, we want you to be that kind of person. We want you to be thinking about your pilgrim journey, where you are, where you're going, and why. The reason why is because this world needs you. If you're not salt and light, where are they going to get the salt and light? I ask you, where? There isn't any. Salt has lost its savor. How will it be resalted? They're just not there. Christianity has got to stay focused on the journey of pilgrimage. Because this is where God will meet us, empower us, carry us forward, and when we fail, pick us up and bring us back again. It is just 
beautiful. Eugene Peterson wrote a great book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's basically what this series is based on. I read it back in seminary. It's just a seminal work on the uh, uh, Songs of Ascent. I commend it to you greatly. Eugene Peterson died a few years ago, and uh, he was a giant in evangelical world Christianity, and uh, that book is, is remarkable. So th- this series is based on that, but not everything that is in our, our, our notes, our sermon notes, are from Eugene Peterson, but some is. Here's one thing he said. Pain, the pain of the distress that this pilgrim is feeling, it penetrates through despair, And it stimulates a new journey, a journey to God. This I cannot overemphasize, folks. When when trouble comes, particularly in Western Christianity, when trouble comes, the first thing we think is, what's wrong? What did I do? Why aren't things going in the right direction? What, What do I have to do to make it right? we don't see that pain is often necessary to get us to move. We'd sit on our behind all day long if God didn't, you know, make our cable go out. You should have laughed a lot harder than that. Your cable goes out, that means no TV, no internet, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm in distress. And you start screaming at Time Warner or AT&T. Pain should move us to God, not away from Him. You have a tragedy in your life. You lose someone dear to you. And you start, He betrayed me. He didn't do what I want. He's He's not faithful. And you start running away and accusing Him. You're going exactly in the wrong direction. Pain, He's drawing you. Come to me. Yeah, you live in a painful world. That's not my fault. That's your fault. But I came down here, I'm sharing this pain with you. My goodness, look at my son. Where are you? Why are you running away from me? Get back over here. And I've heard some of the craziest stuff as a, as a pastor about why people, oh, God's done, he didn't do it, he hurt me, I'm never going to forgive him. Well, you know what? You're going to be miserable, right? I mean, it's, just, it's just nutty. So, run to him. Run. Dawson said that yesterday to our sweet Hannah Carrillo on her quince. Run to him when you're in trouble. Run with all your might. Don't run away. He's not behind our trouble. But when trouble comes, he will call you to himself. That's what it's all about. You're in trouble. You're in Meshach. You're in Kedar. Get away from there. Come to Jerusalem. Come to where I am. That's the beauty of these psalms. His response is to appeal to God. Look, first verse. I called, He answered. I called, He answered. Now, listen to me. This is where a lot of trouble comes. We don't know the time frame between His calling and God's answering. So here's a question. Does God always, 100% of the time, heal us when we pray for physical healing, we've got a disease and we pray, God, heal me of this disease. Does He heal us every single time, without exception, 100%? Yes or no? 
Who said no? Raise your hands. I want to see that. What is wrong with you? You're in a good church. You guys have good pastors. You have no excuse. Yes. 100% without exception. You are healed every single time you pray and ask Him. Jesus said, ask in My name, I will do it. Now, the time frame, we don't know. But let me tell you, if you believe, do you believe in the resurrection from the dead? Do you? All right, let's hear a hearty yes, a hearty amen. amen. Even Presbyterians should affirm the resurrection. Yes. Well, then let me ask you, what's going to happen to your cancer when you get resurrected? Say it. Healed. What happens to your poverty when you're resurrected? Heal. What happens to your anxiety, your fear, your doubt, the pain, the children you may have lost, the wives and spouses and husbands and, and friends and family that you've lost? What happens? For goodness sakes, what happens? You get them back. This is why we don't understand because we're not on pilgrimage. We're stuck in Meshach. Stuck in Kedar. He's calling you out. The time frame we don't know, but his, the certainty that He will answer is absolute. I called. He answered. That is it. Do you know the old saying, the bumper sticker theology that said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. That's why it's a bumper sticker. Theology. Horrible, horrible. Here's a better one. One I hope you will put on the back of your car. God said it. That settles it. I believe it. I will bow my knee. I will get on my face before God and say, no matter what, if the world, if the mountains fall and the seas erupt, I will stay because you're faithful. Not because I have a great deposit of faith in my weak and doubting heart, but because you are certain. You are faithful. And that's where the psalm is taking you. It's taking you to the New Jerusalem. Here's another thing. Dr. Peterson said, God once admitted, once you let him in to your consciousness, he fills the entire horizon. God, revealed in his creative and redemptive work, exposes the lies of this world. You know, oh, this is all there is. There's no, you better get it while you can. Uh, you better be, you know, when you die, you're just going to rot in the grave and blah, blah, blah. The lies of this world, the lies that people tell, the lies that Satan has been t- telling our ancestors from day one. Once you admit God into your consciousness, it drives those lies out. Because you're looking, you're beholding with your eyes the truth. Not only the truth in His Word, but you're able to look into the face of a man who was the truth. A person who went through every step of this journey 
Not so we wouldn't have to, but so that we could. Not so we wouldn't have to, but so that we could. That certainty, this is the second point, certainty and confidence, the deliverance that God is faithful, that He will be faithful, that our life, no matter how long you live or how briefly you live, that your life is simply a blip on the radar. It is like smoke, the psalmist said. It's like a blade of grass that it sprouts here today, gone tomorrow. It's just a moment. But there is so much beyond it. What we call, Dawson and I call the eternal perspective. In other words, your life is not that moment, not that blade of grass, not that little puff of smoke. Your life here in this misery is that, but not the rest. The rest is something else. And you have to keep your eyes in both places at the same time. You have to embrace the tension. How many times have we talked about the tension? Not 50-50, don't find a balance somewhere in the middle. I mean, you know, that's where armadillos get run over. In the middle of the road. No, you're 100% on both ends of this spectrum. You're embracing it all. Even though we don't rationally be able to fix, fix, figure it all out, we put it together because God is infinite and we couldn't even begin to comprehend Him if we wanted to. But we know enough that we can grab His feet and touch the hem of His garment and that He is certain. Look at verse 3 and 4. What shall be given to you? What more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? When the world is lying to you, when people are lying and they're scandalizing you or libeling you or saying things about you or your own heart is condemning you, when your own heart is telling, I'm no good, I'm not faithful, I'm no, I'm no bueno por nada. You can even do it in tongues. You can speak another language. I'm no good and I'm also no bueno por nada. He does what we should all do. He asks that wicked tongue, that lying tongue, a question. Because the quest, behind the question, the answer is there. It's right there. The answer is in verse 4. It's right there. What shall be given to you, tongue, you lying tongue, you lying self, you lying people, you lying culture, you lie, lie, lie. What shall be done to you? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of fire in the broom tree. This pilgrim assumes that he is innocent that he does not deserve what he's getting in this world. And the Psalms say we never get what we deserve in this world, Psalm 130 in particular. If he counted our sins against us, who could stand? So he never, give, he never gives you what you deserve. Why? Why doesn't he give us what we deserve? Because my Savior got what I deserve. And I get what He deserves. 
if I will make this pilgrim, if I will make this journey, he gets what I deserve. I get what he deserves. The pilgrim journey is not somewhere where you're just, you know, going to get messed up and barely make it. The pilgrim journey is the way. The way. God's justice. This, this pilgrim appeals to God's justice. I know you're true. I know you're right. I'm going to put all of my mess in your hands and I'm going to make this journey. And every day that I make this journey, I'm probably going to have to start all over again and decide to make the journey. It's not like you make the journey, decide, okay, we're going to leave today. You pack your van and you head out and you never make the decision again. No, repentance is all of life. Following Jesus is all of life. Faith is not a one-moment thing that you do and then from then on you just move forward. No, you're trusting Him every single day. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, used to roll out of his bed up till the day he died. He rolled out of his bed. He never stood up. He rolled out of his bed onto his knees. And his prayer was, Today, you are with me and today I will follow you. Everything at your feet. And then he would get up and go have coffee. But he started his day with that. Today, another day. Another commitment. Another realization of my helplessness and my need for you before I brush my teeth. And that's what this journey is, folks. Every day, you're going to have to, every day, sometimes multiple times. My, my life, it's usually several times a day. On certain days, it's a lot of times. I won't even tell you how many because it's embarrassing. But I never go a day that I don't make a decision to trust. That's all faith is, just saying, I'm going to trust you today. It's not some woo-woo thing that you have inside you. It's a decision to trust Him. Put your weight on Him. It's beautiful. So what the, what the pilgrim is saying is, is what's said in Proverbs. Don't say, I'll get even. I have to do something to rectify this wrong that's being done to me. Don't get even. Turn the other cheek and trust God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And so the posture of the pilgrim is one in which anytime it's possible, I'm going to s sacrifice and serve others around me, even at my expense. Now, we have courts of law in our land, and we're grateful for that, and the laws of the land are there to protect the people of their land. And when it's appropriate, we can appeal to law. That's what the courts are for. But there's also in a place, there's also a place for you and I, as Christians, to live a redemptive life in which we lay down our rights, give them, even if we're taken advantage of, in order to do something redemptive. It's intentional. It's a posture you take. It's a decision. You use wisdom when you do it. We could talk about that another time. And it is incredibly powerful. Want to know why? 
Because that's what Jesus did. All the way. All the way to the cross. My goodness, on the cross, he's praying for these people that crucified him. He's reaching out to the men on either side of him and saving one of them, we know for sure. The criminals. What a world we live in, folks. This beautiful world that God has had. The pilgrimage that He's called us to. It's so powerful that it's going to last for eternity. What else in this world is going to last that long? Say nothing. Nothing. He is going to last forever. So the psalmist is certain of that. And he takes him to a new beginning. But you know, I need to, I need to quit because I'm getting close to the time. But C.S. Lewis wrote a great book, The Problem of Pain. If you haven't read it, you should get the little, there's little collections on Audible. You can get all the works of C.S. Lewis and you can listen to them. Uh, I have the whole collection, everything C.S. Lewis has written on Audible. I have them in my office too, but you can't have those. Uh, but you can get audio, you can listen, listen, listen. I make a practice of listening to C.S. Lewis, you know, not all the time, but often. Problem of Pain. He wrote this wonderful little book. And some of you have heard this. Listen. Pain insists on being attended to. You see, pain won't leave you alone. It will just get you and make you do something. Take an aspirin. You know, put a cold ice pack. Put a heating pack. Do something. It will not leave you alone. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, pain comes, it's going to come, it's going to demand your attention. But for you, it is serving, it's waking you up. And this, this pilgrim psalmist wakes up because of the distress and pain that he's feeling, his life, the anxiety, the, the fear, the, the doubt, the uncertainty of this mortal coil. And he wakes up and he says, Woe to me. He calls a curse down on himself. Woe to me because I sojourn. And the curse is because I'm in a wrong place. I'm not where I belong. I'm somewhere else. I'm in Meshach. Meshach, if you look in a dictionary, it's in the far, far north of Israel, up in that area. I'm in Meshach. I dwell in the tents of Kidar. Kidar was the second son of Ishmael, the son of Abraham. These were the desert people, the, the Bedouins, the ones who wandered in the desert. And he says, I dwell in a tents among Kidar. Out there in the south, in the south area of the desert, in the, the deep Saudi desert. Some of our military guys, you've been there, you know what it's like. There's nothing there, nobody there. Empty. And he wakes up and he says, I, I don't belong here. I don't belong in this desert. I don't belong in the wilderness. I was made for the garden. I was made for the temple, which was a reconstruction of the garden. I was meant for Jerusalem. I was meant to be with God, not out here in the, with the lizards and scorpions. You know, I'm not, this isn't where I'm, I'm supposed to be, where there's water. 
refreshment. Awesome. And he makes a decision. Look at verse 6. Too long I have had my dwelling among those who hate peace. Too long I've been here. They hate. Look at verse 7. I'm for peace. They hate peace. They want war. There's never going to be a peace treaty. Never between us and this world. Between us and Satan. Satan will never... What does Satan want? He wants war. He wants death. He wants destruction. He wants to sift Peter like a, like a bushel of wheat. I'm going to sift him till there's nothing left of your great apostle. Your rock, Jesus. You just watch me. I'm going to sift him like wheat. And Jesus says to him, he doesn't even address Satan, he just says, don't worry Peter, I prayed for you. That's your certainty. That's where you can put down your anchor, the anchor of your soul. The faithfulness. So how will this pilgrim find peace? How? He's going to go to Jerusalem. How do you and I find peace? The literal translation is, where he says, I am for peace. The Hebrew is, I am peace. The scholars have wondered, you know, why, why is it like that? I think there's a good reason for that. I am peace. In other words, you and I, human beings were made to live at peace. We were made for a garden where it was peaceful. And we were to be working during the day. We didn't have time to quarrel because we got to tend to the artichokes. Make sure they're sprouting or doing whatever artichokes do. So we're there working. We're living in harmony, living in peace. We're made for peace. I am peace. Anything that's not peace is not peaceful. But whenever you see the words that go me, I am that I am, I hope your mind goes somewhere else to the man of peace the new Jerusalem, the new temple. There's no temple. There's not ever going to be a temple in Jerusalem. So don't send your money when the evangelicals on late night TV ask you to send your money so we can help them rebuild the temple. Don't do that. That temple will be a temple to the Antichrist, to Satan, not to Jesus. He's the new temple. Yes? He's the new temple. We go to Him. He is our peace. He is the man of peace. My peace I leave you. My peace I give you. We are justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. While we were enemies, Meshach and Kedar, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Through Him, reconciliation comes between earth and heaven. He made peace through the blood of His cross. He Himself is our peace. Broken down. In his, he broke down all the alienation between people in His flesh. His flesh was torn apart so that we could love one another. For goodness sakes. So that there would be no dividing wall between human beings. 
We can love each other because He was torn apart. He creates in Himself one new man. In place of two, He makes one. He was cast out, folks. He was torn. He went... He was thrown bodily to Meshach and Kedar. Most of us go there because we want to go there. He went there. He went there for us. He went far, as far as you can get from the presence of God. There's no further place you can get from the presence of God than the hell He experienced on the cross. There is no more distance. It's infinite. And He's telling you, make the journey. Make it daily. Come to Me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thanks. Wow, we've been called to a journey that is not easy. But You are there with us every step of the way. And I pray, I beg You, Father, please fill us with Your Spirit. Help us to find discontent with the way we are right now and to look for our contentment in our new Jerusalem, our temple, Jesus. We'll find our place in Him, O Lord, I pray. Amen.